Today we will be in uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. Um, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. So the, today, as I said, today is the, the presentation, the anniversary of when Jesus, when Jesus, when Mary and Joseph presented Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. So today I want to answer a, a real simple question. Why does that, why does that matter? Um, you know, sometimes when you're waiting in line for an elevator, you go up and push the button, even though everyone else probably pushed the button, but maybe it's possible no one did. Or, you know, you're, you're in line somewhere and there's a really long line and then there's a really short line. You keep wondering, why is no one in the short line? So you go there and you realize you wasted your time because the line's actually for something else. The, the point is, is that the, when, there's a, when there's a lot of people are doing the same thing, sometimes they're wrong, but most of the time there's probably a reason why there's a bunch of people in that line, why there's a bunch of people waiting for the elevator. My point is, is that there is a reason why Christians throughout the world celebrate these big events like the presentation of the Lord, the transfiguration, Pentecost, ascension, epiphany. These are big deals in God's story. And there are times for us to pause from our regular scheduled programming through Romans. Romans chapter 12 will still be there and we'll get there. Uh, but to pause and celebrate. Um, not all, but many American churches celebrate more of the Hallmark calendar than the Christian calendar. There's nothing wrong with Memorial Day. There's nothing wrong with the 4th of July. There's nothing wrong with Thanksgiving. It's good stuff. But the Christian story has some special events that are worth hitting pause for uh, and, and celebrating. And th this is one of them. So why does the presentation of the Lord matter all over the world? Uh, Christians from every tribe and tongue and nation are celebrating this day uh, today. And are they all wrong? Or is, is there... Is there is there a reason why Christians celebrate? You may have never been to a church that celebrates that, or it's had an Ascension Sunday, has a Trinity Sunday. Transfiguration is next week, so we celebrate that anniversary too. Why do we celebrate these big events? Um, that's what we're gonna talk about today, the presentation of the Lord. Um, what's it for? What's it mean? So this whole section in Luke chapter two, verses 22 to 40 is organized around these two uh, witnesses who are there in the temple, who speak to Mary and Joseph when they bring Jesus there to, to dedicate him to the Lord. And we're, gonna let, uh, we're going to let Simeon and Anna tell us what the presentation of the Lord is about. And hopefully that'll become clearer and we'll leave here uh, encouraged about what Jesus has done for us and what this day means and why it's special. So we'll pray and then we'll dive into Luke chapter 2, verses 22, 22 to 40. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We thank you for your son. We love you. Teach us what this day is about. Help us to have a special appreciation for what happened and what was said on that day in Jerusalem so long ago. And convict us as need be um, by your Holy Spirit as we read your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we begin here. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So Jesus is about 40 days old right now. So I want to focus on why they had to take him to the Lord, to present him to the Lord. Mary went there to, uh, to ritually cleanse herself, but she also came to, to, um, to commit 
their firstborn son, firstborn son to the Lord, like the law says. But I want to focus on this. What, what about the law? Why did the law want parents to bring their firstborn son to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord? What's that about? What's that for? That is from Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, and a few other places scattered around. But it says that if, you, if you, you're supposed to sacrifice the firstborn of your cattle, uh, and you're supposed to, to, to bring your firstborn son and dedicate him to the Lord. So what's it about? Exodus chapter 13 tells us that it's to remember the Passover. It's to remember the Passover. It's like an object lesson. God loves object lessons. The Lord's Supper, a bunch of object lessons sitting in front of you. So in the Passover, Pharaoh repeatedly refuses to let the people of Israel go. He doesn't want them to go. And so God keeps ratcheting up the pain threshold and Pharaoh keeps saying no. Sometimes he says yes, but then he, he changes his mind. So eventually God goes for the nuclear option and he takes the life of every firstborn son and livestock in Egypt, causing the most personal pain and horrible economic pain because you know it's an agricultural society. But he left all of the Israelites untouched. So it's, it's a divine punishment. All the Israelites who put the blood of the, the lamb on their doorposts, they're, they're left alone. But all the Egyptians, all of their firstborn are taken from them. And this final ratcheting up that God uses to, um, to get Pharaoh to see reason. Samuel, did you turn that other microphone off? The, you know, the, just leave the pulpit one on. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So um, the parent in Exodus 13, verses 14 and 15, we read, we read this. Um, in the days to come, when your son asks you, so this is in Exodus. So when your kids ask you, what, what is all the, what, what's the Passover mean? What's, this, what's all the stuff that we're supposed to do mean? Uh, we're told that um, you're supposed to tell them about the Passover, about how God rescued you, about how God rescued us. And that is why you're supposed to dedicate your firstborn child to, to the Lord. It's sort of a God spared our firstborn in this ritual of us coming and, you know, sort of symbolically giving our children to God is sort of, um, we're remembering God's pledge to save our firstborn way back when by giving our firstborn, this couple's firstborn, to the Lord saying, use him, use him as you see fit. Help us to make your love and grace that you showed to us worth it. So it's, it remembers the Passover. God spared all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So when your firstborn comes, you take your firstborn and you offer him to the Lord in this symbolic way saying, Use my son for whatever you want to do, like Hannah did with, with Samuel. Uh, so the parents are supposed to redeem, or they offer their children to the Lord, and then they you know, symbolically buy their kids back. Like, I'm offering you to him, but God has allowed me to, like, to raise the child, but he really belongs to you. And you, you redeem the child, and this, this, all this symbolism by... Um, by paying a small sum of money into the treasury. So uh, Exodus 13, the last part of Exodus 13, uh, verse 13 reads, um, redeem every firstborn among your sons. So that's the background for why they're going there. So they're going there to do that. They have their first, Mary has her firstborn. It's 40 days. She brings her son to the temple to, to 
dedicate him to like offer him to God. Here's our firstborn son. He's yours. Make his life glorify. Make his life glorify you, etc. That 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 sort of thing. So that that's what they're doing. But this isn't just their firstborn son. Whose son is it also? It's God's son. Not God's physical son, but it's God's in this relational thing that Scripture tells us uh, Jesus is God's son. So there's a really strange thing that's going on here. Mary's bringing her firstborn to offer him to God, but it's also God's son as well who's being offered to him. And so... Just as Hannah pledged her son to God, because God had very special plans for little Samuel when he was born, uh, God has very special plans for this firstborn as well. And when they go there to, to present him to God, say, here he is, use him for what, whatever you want to use him for. What plans does God have for this firstborn, his own you know, firstborn, who's brought to him? And the two witnesses, Simeon and Anna, tell us about that in short order. So starting in verse 25, we have the first witness, Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's a good guy, he's a true, he's righteous, meaning he's a true believer. He's devout, means he's not fake. He, he loves God, he has strong feelings for God, he loves him. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the, the, the comforting thing that Israel's been promised, especially like in Isaiah chapter 40, which starts out with comfort, comfort my people. How? Tell them that their sins have been paid for and that I'm coming to rescue them. You know, he's, so Simeon is, He's, he's a guy who loves God, he's a guy who's devout, and he's waiting for this special someone who's going to come, who's going to fulfill all the promises God has made to his people, to fix everything. So he's waiting for. And the Holy Spirit was on him. There's a special anointing by the Holy Spirit with this man. For what purpose? It says in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. So he's an older guy, and all he wants, some people, they have, it's good to have goals, right? It's nice to have goals, but this guy's goal is just, I want to see the Messiah you've promised before I die. That's what he wants. That's a good goal to have, right? It's, it's, it's a simple goal. There's no career, there's no, uh, there's no other goals, it's just that is this man's goal. And he's such a devout man. He's such a simple man, right? An ordinary person, otherwise would be totally anonymous. But it's always the, it's always the, the ordinary, ordinary, quote, ordinary Christians who are often the, the most fervent people who love God the most. It's not, Christians don't have to be flashy. Mary and Joseph are ordinary, you know, anonymous little people from a small village in the middle of nowhere. This man is an ordinary, ordinary person. He wants to see the Messiah before he dies. And the Holy Spirit tells him, uh, it had been revealed to him that you, you are going to get your wish. You'll see the Messiah before you die. So moved by the Spirit, we read, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon has something to say. 
So the Holy Spirit, you know, he, the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit told him, you'll see the Messiah. So God is orchestrating this event. It's not just, he just, he just happened to be there. So God wants Simeon to be there. God wants him to sort of intercept Mary and Joseph as soon as they come through the door and tell them what he's about to tell them. So this is what he says, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, Simeon says, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servants and your servant in peace. Like, it, everything you said came true. Because here he is. So this is what he says on the screen, verse 30 to 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations, and the glory of your people Israel. So as he's staring at this baby, this 40, 40 days was a month and like six weeks, six-week-old child, he's staring at this little boy that he's holding in his arms, and he says, I've seen your salvation. Jesus himself is salvation from God. And this is important. Not what saves you is Jesus, trusting, loving Jesus and what he's done. Knowing a lot of things about Jesus won't save you. There are a lot of people who know a lot of things about Jesus. There are a lot of people who are theological-minded, who, who have all sorts of right facts rolling around inside their heads. They can talk about the two natures of Christ. They can talk about two-nature Christology. They could talk about uh, how Christ has two wills because he is a human nature and a divine nature. They can talk about all, these, all of these deep things, right? But do they actually have Jesus? And that's, there's a difference there between knowing stuff about Jesus and knowing Jesus. You can think about, you can take this relational thing to the level that we're used to. You, you, you might know a lot about someone, but the person's spouse is the one who really knows them. There's a difference between knowing a bunch of facts. I know a bunch of facts about people at work, but I'm not married to any of them. And I don't know them like that. So there's a difference. Jesus is salvation, not information about Jesus, not even a list of doctrines. I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, because I believe all these things, I must be a Christian. Jesus is salvation. Even the, the demons know a lot about Jesus too, right? But they're not Christians. James 2.19, you know, the demons know who he is. They even call him the, 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 the demon in Mark 1.45 who falls down at Jesus' feet as he's you know, possessing the body of this poor soul. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, so the, the demons know who he is, but that doesn't make them believers. So it's not enough to, to have information about Jesus or to believe a list of the right things. You know, it's good to believe the right things, but do you actually know Jesus? Or is it just abstract book stuff, a list of right things? Um, it, it's not even the Bible itself. The Bible points to Jesus. The Bible tells us about Jesus. It's Jesus who's salvation. Jesus is salvation. To know him, to trust him, to love him, to make him your king. That is what salvation is. To believe that he can rescue you from Satan and give you spiritual life. So Simeon looks down at this boy. He says, Lord, as you've promised, you know, I've, uh, my eyes have seen your salvation. This boy is salvation. Jesus is salvation. And he says, as the parents are standing there, can you imagine what they're thinking? Like he, he, he just comes in, and like, like a normal person, I guess, would be like, oh, look at the little boy. And then he grabs him, puts, he holds him in his arms, and he says all this stuff, and they're just standing there. 
and we'll get to that in a second. But he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, meaning it's, it's not a secret, right? It's an open thing. It's the message is available. Uh, it can be known. Right? Christianity is not, like Paul told Felix, uh, you know, this stuff wasn't done in a corner. You know, th this is a, an open, accessible message. It's there for anyone to see and to take hold of. It's, do it's done in the sight of all nations, not just for the Jewish people. You know, to them, it, it happens there, but it's, it's for more than just, it's for them, but for more than just them. It's for people like you and me, who probably aren't Jewish. In the sight of all nations, what is this salvation supposed to do? It says, to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, this, this light to go out to a whole bunch of other people in the world who don't know about Jesus. This salvation is a light in a dark place that tells people, that's the way out. Go to the, go to the light. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. All the promises are going to be fulfilled. All the promises are here. Jesus is an Israelite. Jesus is a Jew, descended from Abraham. You know, he, he brings glory to Israel because he's the ultimate, you know, Israelite. And he's the channel for blessing to the entire world. A light, a you know, light of the world. Um, Those who follow me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, there's a light that brings darkness to the world to show people the path to get out to lead, their, to lead them onto the path of peace. So that's what he says. That's what he says. So, and then we go to Mary and Joseph. As they're standing there, we read, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Shocked. Why are they shocked? Are they shocked because Simeon's given them some new information that broadens their horizons? And so they're, they're marveling. It's not like they're... It's, so... Either they've gotten some new information or they're just sort of taken aback at, at Simeon's forwardness. You know, this guy comes out of nowhere and you know, cradles their son and says all this stuff. And they're standing there like, okay, so which one is it? The Bible doesn't tell us which one it is. I think it's the first one. I think they're astonished or they're marveling because he's, he's given them information that they might have missed the first time, which is that... When Mary sang her song in Luke chapter 1, her entire focus was on Israel. You're going to fulfill your promises to Abraham. He's going to do, it's going to do everything. He's going to topple the lofty from the thrones and up, uplift the, the humble. But she mentioned nothing about the nations. You know, God's going to do that for Israel, but he's going to invite a bunch of other people to the, to the family too. And that's the mystery that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, that, was, that hadn't been fully, you know, Un unveiled until now that God is going to do all that for Israel but like we saw last week with the branches that are non-native branches that are grafted in he's going to invite a whole bunch of other people to this party as well so when Simeon says you know you've prepared the salvation in the sight of all the nations to be a light of revelation for the Gentiles I think that that the bigger picture of the family of God is what sort of startled them that made them stand back but in any case they're after he says this they're just says they they're, they're marveling at what was said so then simeon says something more he specifically turns to mary and he says this he says this child this child is destined 
to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thought, thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What do those words mean? So as they're there with their 40-day-old baby, it's so precious to have a newborn baby. Our kids are now, our kids are older, so it's hard to remember what they were like, but we had a foster daughter for two years and we raised her from like three weeks old until almost two years old. So we got to relive all of those old lessons again. And it's so precious to hold this newborn child. But yet, as he's holding this 40-day-old child, this, he, he's warning them. He says, this child is sort of going to be like a lightning rod of criticism. This child is destined to, call the fall, to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The only yardstick that matters is what you think about this boy. That was true then, and it's, it's true today. What do you think about this child? That's the only thing that determines whether you fall or rise in God's estimation. We're all fallen in God's eyes, but he loves us so much, he's given, a, he's given a way for us to be reconciled to him and join his family. And whether that happens hinges on what do you think about this boy? Is he going to cause your falling or is he going to cause your, your rising in, in, God's, in God's family? What is the answer? There's so many things that we, we latch onto as the thing that gives us meaning and purpose. Your job, your relationships, your, fit, your physical fitness. Whatever it is, there's things that we grab onto as like the ultimate thing that we center our lives around that give us purpose and give us meaning. But what God says, especially in Ecclesiastes, is... This is the only thing that matters. What do you think about this boy, this man, Jesus of Nazareth? What do you think about him? He's the one who's going to call the falling or cause the falling. Your falling and rising in God's eyes doesn't depend on how much you make, on where you work, who your parents are, or how physically fit you are, or, or whatever else you want, to, you want to use. The only thing that matters, what do you think about this man? This boy who Simeon's holding in his arms. He'll be a sign that will be spoken against, like a lightning rod, like, the, the, like an instant, what you think about this boy instantly classifies you, right? So, like, if you ask, as it, this may not, you know, this may not uh, work as well 20 years from now, but if you ask any Christian now, what do you think about Donald Trump? And the way they answer, bam, everyone has an opinion. And the way you answer will immediately put you either as this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian or whatever, but it, it sorts you, right? It immediately sorts you as a Christian. So what do you think about Donald Trump? Oh, and then you immediately can put people in a category, a broad category of, you know, what kind of Christian they are. And, 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 and then you assume all sorts of things about them because of what they answer, right? Jesus is like that, but infinitely more important than Donald Trump or Joe Biden or anyone else who walks the face of this earth. What do you think about him? It immediately classifies you and puts you in a category. Immediately, your reaction to Jesus as this divine sign, right, is immediately shows what kind of person you are in relation to God. Immediately, a sign that will be spoken against so that many, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Just like the thoughts of many hearts are revealed when you ask him certain questions, especially about politics, um, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed in an infinitely more meaningful way when asked 
What do you think about this man, Jesus of Nazareth? And then he even leaves a warning for Mary about heartache that awaits her as she watches her own son die one day. Thirty-odd years later, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon teaches us that Jesus brings salvation. He brings rescue. He's a light for the nations. And your assessment of him is the hinge, right? It's, it's the hinge on which your soul turns. What do you think about him? So we have one more witness who doesn't have as much to say, but is compliments what Simeon says really well. Witness number two, Anna. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, praying and fasting. So verse 38 is, uh, verse 38 is, is where we're, we're going to spend our time. Coming up to them at the very moment, so at the very moment, it's like they, they converge on her. The Holy Spirit leads them both to converge on her at the same, on Mary and Joseph at the same time. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So this is the parallel that I want you to see. The law said that Mary and Joseph had to bring the firstborn to the temple to commit him, you know, dedicate him to God. And then to redeem, right, to redeem him back, to, to buy him back, so to speak, in this sim symbolism. You know, he's yours, let us take care of him in the meantime, even though he belongs to you, to redeem him back. And so Anna comes up, as they're there to do that, Anna comes up and tells them about the child who's come to redeem and buy his people back. The, she spoke to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption means to, to buy back, to like liberate, to rescue, right? Uh, from, a, from a slave context or a kidnapper, you know, to liberate, to rescue, to, to redeem you. So Mary and Joseph are there to you know, redeem Jesus back Redeem the firstborn back from God that they're offering as a, as a, you know, use this boy for your glory and redeem him and they'll, they'll take him back and raise him, but he really belongs to the Lord sort of thing. But this is the boy who's going to grow up to buy his people back from Satan's grasp so all true believers can serve God and his kingdom. They, Mary and Joseph, buy Jesus back, so to speak, redeem him. For, for the Lord, and then he grows up to redeem us and them. So that, that it's such a, it, it's a beautiful symbolism of they redeem him to raise him for the Lord. He grows up and then redeems us, rescues us from Satan. The redemption of Jerusalem and anyone who wants to join Abraham's family and become one of his children as well. So the presentation of the Lord, we started off by asking, why should you care about this special day? You know, millions of Christians around the world this very day are celebrating this, this event, the same passage. Different languages, different people, different countries, same passage. Well, who cares about the presentation of the Lord anyway? This is important because on that day celebrates that God tells Mary and Joseph and us what his, his firstborn son does for us. Brings salvation to the nations, glory for his people Israel, 
and is he is the hinge on which your future turns. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, uh, he is the hinge on which your future turns. What do you think of this man? And the boy who Mary and Joseph buy back from God that morning grows up to buy us back from Satan's grasp. And that's a beautiful that's a beautiful symbolism. Whoever you are, if you accept Jesus, if you believe in what he's done, not the list of things about him, but if you, if you trust Jesus, who's been perfect for you, because we read in the catechism question, you, 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 can't, you can't do that perfectly. He's been perfect for you. We deserve to be punished for the crimes we commit against God. Uh, he's been punished for us. Satan has you know, caught us in, in his grip and the only way someone's going to defeat the strong man you know, for Mark chapter 3 is if a stronger guy comes along and ties him up so that he can get all, the, get all the prisoners out of the house. Jesus is the stronger guy who's tied up the strong man in that example from Mark chapter 3 and then is rescuing everyone from the house. Jesus has been perfect for you. He suffered for you in your place. And he's defeated Satan for you in your place. He can, he can buy you back. He's already done everything necessary to buy you back, to give you forgiveness, peace, reconciliation, peace in your heart, joy, love. He's done all of that already. And as they bring their Mary and Joseph, as they bring the boy there that day, that morning in Jerusalem, that's the message that those two witnesses bring to them. How is this boy who's being dedicated to the Lord, how's God going to use him? That's how he's going to use him. It's very special. It's very powerful. Why do you think God gave us those two witnesses? Are they just there for color so we can get to the good stuff when Jesus grows up? Or are they there for a reason? They're there for a reason. If you're a Christian, then no matter what's happening in your life, these things will always be true. And Jesus will always be your only hope in life and in death. The question is whether we're going to live like that's true or not. I hope that we'll choose to commit ourselves to the Lord and to live for him because of everything that he's done for us that we read in this passage today. Let's pray. And then Samuel and Peter will close us with the song they were supposed to do before. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We thank you for who you are. We praise you for the message that Simeon and Anna told us about Convict us of sin, of righteousness and judgment, and help us to love you like we should, and give us assurance of salvation and forgiveness, no matter who we are or what we've done, for anyone who comes to you with an honest and contrite spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.